Hello and welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. I'm your host, Gabe Peterson, and this is the place investors go to gain actionable advice, learn about current market trends, and hear war stories from other professional investors out there in the field today. Before we get started, I have two quick housekeeping items for you. First, if you like this episode, we would very much appreciate a like, subscribe, and share. It is the best way to support the show and keep it running far into the future. Second, if you're a new investor looking to get started in real estate or an experienced investor looking to take your investing to the next level, I've created an ebook just for you that will cover how to find deals that are actually deals, how to finance those deals with little to no money down, and how to exit those deals for maximum value. On top of that, I throw in an insane amount of free bonuses that you'll have access to once you buy the ebook. All I charge is our admin costs to keep this show running. So if you're serious about real estate investing and want to create both active and passive income as an investor, head on over to the website at therealestateinvestingclub.com and click on the button that says, get the ebook in the upper right-hand corner to grab yourself a copy. With that said, let's dive right in. Today, we have a very special guest with us ready to drop some investor knowledge on you. So buckle up, grab your pen and paper and enjoy the ride. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. Today, we have Scott Crone with us. Scott is a Chicago native and founder of the Coda Management Group and the One Stop Self Storage. He is also an author, having authored High Performance Homes. I am super excited to have Scott here. I myself just jumped into self storage, so I'm sure we'll have a good conversation. Scott, thank you very much for hopping on. My pleasure, Gabe. Thanks for having me and congratulations on self storage. Yeah, no, I loved it. I'm uh, I'm excited to dive in. Uh, before we do that, though, I told you we always start with stories. We like to hear where people came from. Um, so why don't you take us to yours? How'd you get started in self-storage? It was uh, really a backwards or, motion. Sorry, was... how'd you get started in real estate? I didn't mean In real estate? Okay. That, I don't that's... want to be uh, biased towards everybody else. <laughs> that takes me back a little bit further. Um, it, it began getting my master's degree in architecture, and I was fortunate enough to have a professor who I was his TA for, um, that was a real estate developer as well as an architect and contractor. And so um, a lot of my graduate work um, was working on his projects. So I'd work for him in his office from you know seven until 12, uh, go to class from one to six, and then uh, do homework for him from seven until midnight. So I did that for three and a half years. And then uh, I <laughs> yeah, he ruled your for- life. He did. And somehow I, I was able to find a woman who was interested in marrying me and getting married during that time period. I promise the schedule is not always going to be like this. It's going to be different. Well, the funny story is like immediately after I went full time for him, you know, um, he mandated eight weeks of 80 hour weeks. And so oh. I was like making like a dollar 25. And, you know, that was like in uh, May and I was supposed to be getting married in August. So during the whole lead up to my marriage, we were, I was working 80 hours. Jeez. <laughs> Awesome. So you got you uh, you were in college. Your professor, you worked with him. You you uh, took his courses and you worked in his actual firm. Um, well, how did you you know what was the steps that you took after that? Well, when I was doing that, my my master's thesis was a four hundred unit development, so hundred million dollars in revenue. So I was working on that, and then he, while I was there, he also made me project manager for a twenty four unit. I mean, um, a forty unit, twenty four million dollar project. 
And so I was doing those projects for him, plus other ones, conversions of um, apartments to condominiums. And then 1998, I decided to start my own firm. And uh, we bought a a single family home. We tore it down. We built a new one and we sold it. And that was my beginning of my own company. And uh, we we did well. We had three investors and they told me to do it again and not tell anyone. And that's when I realized (laughs) I better tell everybody. So, uh, you know, I couldn't be limited by what they were going to be willing to put towards my company. So um, we shortly thereafter got into multifamily mixed use. Uh, We've done five churches during that period of time. And it was in, you know, the crash came and the, the entire market changed. And so that was in 08, 09. And everybody was getting into, um, you know, apartments. And I, I was coaching real estate at the time as well, as well as teaching at IIT where I got my graduate degree. And um, one of my clients said, uh, you know, I'm trying to define distressed self-storage. You know, here we are in the midst of the greatest financial collapse of our of my lifetime, not, you know, necessarily everybody's lifetime, but certainly my lifetime. And I could not find a distressed self-storage. So I began studying and looking into it. And then in 13, we, we co-developed one together and then um, we flipped it. And that was my foray into self-storage. Man, I love it. Um, so I, you, I think I heard you say churches. Did, did I hear that right? Did you say you were flipping churches? No, no, not flipping them. We were building. We were, de- we were designing and building churches. So the last one we did, interestingly enough, was we just converted a church back into a church. And so the church was sold to a veterans of foreign wars. And so they had like a, their bar down the basement and then they had a dance studio up in the sanctuary. And um, then it it was sold to a guy who was going to turn it into a a winery and he gutted the place and then determined he couldn't get his liquor license. And so the church bought it back. And so not, not bought it back. A church bought it. They've never had a building before and they hired us to uh, convert it back into a church. That's interesting. I'm always, uh, I don't know, intrigued by churches being converted because there's, you know, in a lot of cities that churches are everywhere, um, but you know, the the congregations don't support the the size of the church, so they sell them and they turn them into things. And I think like the structure of a church just seems so conducive to to a very open, um, you know, whatever it is, bar, entrance affair, whatever you want to turn it into. So uh, that's interesting. That's intriguing. Um, but let's move on to self-storage. You, you already talked about it. You, we kind of gave a sneak peek there. So you started 2008, 2009. Um, you realized that self-storage, there were very few distressed self-storage out there, um, which you know it's been known as an asset class that is recession resistant, um, I'm sure because of the 2000, 2008, 2009 crash. So what, kind of, what was your first foray? Take us to the first deal that you did in self-storage. We had actually went under contract to, to con- for this 90,000 square foot building for a different client. And we had to get zoning approval for it. It was originally a, um, a lock factory and a warehouse and office. Mm-hmm. And um, right before the crash, it was rezoned into multifamily in, in mixed use. And then the crash occurred and obviously nothing happened. So this building was sitting vacant. And um, we were beginning the zoning process and, and the, the mayor gave us an, you know one of those confirmations that was a you know nonverbal confirmation that she was <laughs> going to go forward with the use. And then um, so we went hard in the contract. And then a couple of months later, we got a call from her saying that she couldn't support it any longer. And so, you know, she apologized and, and um, we said, well, if we bring you something else, would you be willing to work with? She goes, I'll support anything else. So I called up my client. I said, Hey, look, you've been trying to find distressed self-storage. We can't find it, but we got this empty warehouse. 
would it, would it work for you? And um, so he came in with his financial team and his self-storage advisors. And they said, well, we don't need it. We don't need all 90,000 square feet. We only need about 70. And so we flipped 70 of it. We kept 20. We continued to rent it out. We, we turned it into warehouse storage and we converted the whole building for him. And then the both of us, we sold the entire property to Compass self-storage and we flipped the entire property to Compass. And so that was a a wholesale. It was a design build. It was a rental income. I mean, I had about every single real estate structure you could possibly have on that deal. I was going to say that was a, I'm sure that was quite an education getting into it as as the first time into that type of asset class. It was, you know, it helped me understand like, you know, there are different components, especially when you're developing like average square foot, um, how much square footage you need. In fact, you know, he originally started off at 50 and then went to 70,000 then compass bought 90 and then they expanded it further. Um, so, you know, it was just to show you, you know, how many different interpretations of the demand there was at that point in time. Hmm. Um, speaking of demand, I've so I mean, you know, I just got into it. So I'm, I'm bright eyed, uh, looking at everything out there. Um, and it seems I've heard a lot of people talk about the oversupply of self-storage. There's too much self-storage out there and, it's it's overvalued. Um, do you think there's any credence to this? I mean, obviously, it's based on it's market by markets, market specific. But um, on the on the whole, do you think that is an accurate statement? Well, I think your statement that people feel that is accurate. I mean, it's one of the most common things we hear that we're saying we're into self storage. Like, oh, there's self storage everywhere. Um, but in reality, only about ten percent of the population utilizes self storage. Um, and certainly in, in different markets, there's no doubt I feel it's oversaturated. You know, if you look predominantly down the East Coast, Florida, Texas, California, up the, up along the West Coast, um, there are certainly areas which are heavily saturated. I mean, we're seeing in Florida, we're part of a mastermind and we're seeing in Florida where markets have a saturation rate of 11 or 13 and they're building and the national average is seven. So we're going into markets where the, we're well below seven and here they are adding self-storage when they're 11 or 13. And so the Florida population is not expanding as much as many people that have moved there. The, the population total has stayed stagnant. And so, really? you know, it's, uh, know it's not like, you know, Carolina or Tennessee or Texas where the population is increasing, where you're having, you know, Illinois and California are decreasing. In Arizona, Texas, North Carolina, Tennessee, those areas are increasing. Florida staying stagnant, and so uh, you know maybe it's because people are dying, or because people as many people are leaving as that are coming. Interesting. And so you know, for us, that market is oversaturated. The Florida market, yeah, that's one example. You know, or, or the East Coast. You know, those are those are markets that we're we're not we're not turning them down, but you know they have to give us very good reasons to go into them. Yep, that makes sense. Um, so let's talk about. From the, from the perspective of someone who has not been you know brand new into uh, self storage, I so far I've I've liked um, setting up the system, setting up the management. How would you compare management of self storage to something like multifamily or um, well, let's just compare it to multifamily uh, self storage to multifamily? How do they compare? Well, we've done both. I mean, I've sold off my my multifamily portfolio and we've stopped developing that. So. Um, you know, in many respects, they're very similar. Um, you know, people say, well, how do you know you could do self-storage? You've, you know, you've been only doing multifamily. I'm like, well, self-storage is multifamily without toilets. I mean, it's like a more, it's like a dumbed down box of it. Right. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, you can, you can keep going down the pyramid, but you know, it's, it's not that complex. Um, 
the main difference I would say is the, we don't have the emergencies, you know, we don't have uh, you know, a, a boiler blowing out it, it, you know, when it's 20 below zero and, you know, people complain about loss of heat or I've clogged the toilet or this or that, you know, it's a much more predictable model. And um, the, when we go in and we analyze that market, we can determine what the supply and the demand is before we go into it. And so we know how we're going to be marketing it. We know how we're going to be designing um, the unit configuration to meet that supply and that demand. And so it's a much more predictable model. So for instance, our operational expenses, you know, we were like 55% for multifamily. We're anywhere from 25 to 35% on self-storage. And so, you know, a lot of it is more web-based. So we have to have a lot more systems that are focusing on advertising. You know, multifamily, we didn't have to spend nearly as much money on, on advertising. But here we do. We have to spend, you know, significant amount of money on advertising. But we don't have the maintenance and we don't have the other costs that we have to contend with. Uh, yeah, and I'm I've I've seen the same numbers. You know, I own, own mobile home parks, and they run around thirty five percent opex. Um, and I've heard that self storage runs about the same. And based on the the P and Ls that I've seen, it looks like that to be true. So um, that is that is pretty good. I've never owned a, a very large multifamily, and uh, so they're about fifty fifty five percent is what they usually run for opex. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I would say within multifamily, the big uh, expenses are real estate taxes, maintenance, mm-hmm. and you know management fees. You know, just having people always there to to service things, um, and repairs. So those are the big the big ones. Obviously, you're trying to offload your utilities to your tenants as much as possible, but a lot of buildings don't have that ability. Um, you know, the the way I relate self storage to commercial is, you know, we have triple net leases versus. I mean, we have gross modified rents in self-storage versus triple net leases with other commercial properties. So, you know, we have to pay the insurance, we have to pay the real estate taxes, we have to pay the utilities, but we're getting a higher price per square foot. And so, you know, it, it compensates for that. Yep. Um, and real estate taxes, they are just the killer. Do you have any suge- or any suggestions to people out there who may be going into a property that they think the taxes are over, uh, they, they are overvalued? Um, is there any, any, tip that you could give to uh, owners who to reduce their overall property tax expense? Well, I think the first thing is when you're acquiring it to, you know, keep in mind that you're acquiring two things. You're one, acquiring real estate and two, you're acquiring a business. So the more that you can unload onto the business to keep your real estate tax transition fee down, that will set the basis. If, you, if it's all a real estate transaction, then your cost basis is going to be much higher when it comes time for the appraiser or the assessor to you know, come up with a new tax rate. So we're in the process of buying one right now and we're, we're putting a valuation on the building and evaluation on the property so that we can have two transactions going on within the contract. Oh, interesting. So you, you split out both the, the building and the property and that's how... Not the building and the property, the business. Oh, the so business the, and the property. Okay. We're buying the business as, we're, as well as buying the, the real estate. Huh, interesting. Okay. Um, I just took a peek at the clock and it looks like we have already blown through our minutes, which means we got to go into the quick question round. So are you ready? Hell yeah. 
<laughs> I gave him that cue when he got out here. He nailed it. All right. So, Scott, we always start with books because um, I'm a big bookie. So why don't you give me two book recommendations? It actually doesn't have to be books. If you, if you don't read books and you like YouTube or podcasts or whatever, you can give me any recommendation. Two educational sources, one for um, general life wisdom and one for real estate specific. I'd say The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Crone. It's K-R-O-H-N. So there's no royalties. I don't get any kickbacks. <laughs> um, but it's been really transformational in our business. Um, I'm on a big Henry Nowen kick right now. So I've, I've enjoyed a lot of his books. They're, they're very small, but um, you know, there's just a ton of them. So those are, those are the two books that I would recommend or two authors. Perfect. I love it. Uh, moving on, this one is looking at your younger self. So if you could go to the Scott who had no experience in real estate, he was just getting into architecture school, hadn't even met his professor yet, go to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. Be patient. Don't, don't rush it. You know, so, I mean, starting a company at 28, that was a, probably a bit aggressive. Um, there's many pros to it, but, you know, looking back, I was like, what was I thinking at 28 that I thought I knew I could you know, start a business at 28. You got to be kind of dumb to start a business though. That's what I always say. All right, moving on. Uh, <laughs> um, let's see. The next one is location. The United States, very, very large, plenty of square miles out there to invest in. So if you could pick one area that you are most excited to invest in that is not your backyard, what area would that be? Well, we're doing it. We're, we're doing the Midwest. We're doing the flyover states. So that's the big area that we're focusing on right now. Um, we've, we're not really buying much in Illinois right now. We're buying outside. We have Wisconsin. We have uh, two in Ohio. We're moving into Michigan. We have Kentucky. We have Maine, and we're going into Virginia. So we're you know going that way, and we're developing down in Florida too. So you know that's the area that we're going into. Interesting. I love it. Yeah, I've uh, most people that come on here. It seems like everybody's rushing to get into Texas to uh, to you know the Sun Belt states, but not a lot of people are focusing on uh, on the flyover states. So that's great. Um, moving on, this one is an opportunity for you to brag a little bit. We are all gifted with unique gifts that um, you know are unique to us. No person is except for this. We all have strengths. So if you could point to one thing that you feel you are exceptional at, what would that be? Well, my daughter was being recruited for soccer. They call that your 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 super strength. You know what is you know what is your known for. Um, I would have to say my ability to see what's coming around the horizon. Um, you know, I'm not claiming to be, a, you know, this financial guru or anything along those lines, but, you know, I, I, was, I saw on the horizon, the, the internet bubble bursting. I saw on the horizon, the, the real estate investment hurdle busting. And, um, you know, I think we're in for another recession here. Um, I hope I'm wrong, um, but I'm preparing for that we are. Um, there's a lot of indicators for me that are coming up that I saw before. And so, you know, I have, you know, the ability to sort of see what's coming along the horizon, maybe a little bit before everybody else. So maybe it's reading, maybe it's paying attention. Maybe it's just, uh, you know, my gift. We'll see. I, uh, I, I agree with you there. And uh, it seems like a lot of people are starting to get into that same camp. Um, before we go on to the next question, I got I to gotta follow that up. How do you think uh, self-storage is going to be impacted um, by the next recession? Do you think it's still going to be resistant or do you think uh, it might might take a hit? Well, I've gone back and analyzed the last four or five recessionary markets. Then, And self-storage has always done, um, decreased a little bit, like one or two percent, and then rebounded very 
very significantly. Um, so I, I mean, I, I felt I designated that one in terms of being re- recessionary resistant. A lot of people at that time were saying recessionary proof. I don't like saying anything is proof. Um, but I do believe it is recessionary resistant, and I think it will do really well, like especially the fact that how people are changing how they use their residences and uh, where they live. And so, you know, people are altering, you know, fundamentally how they use their homes. And so as a result of that, there's been a dramatic increase in self-storage. Makes sense. All right. We are on to the last question. You've given us a lot of good advice, a lot of good wisdom. Um, so I'm sure people out there want to reach out and say, hi, what is the best way for them to do that? Gabe, I appreciate that. And thank you very much. So one of the things we'd like to offer your listeners, if they mention this show, we will um, send them a feasibility study of one of our projects. And so that way they get a sense of the national market as well as why we went into that specific market. And it, it describes the same things that we looked at when we were determining whether or not we were going to move forward with that project. And so we will send that as a free gift to your listeners. But you can get hold of us at info at CODA, C-O-D-A, mg.com. So that's info at codamg.com. Perfect. So that's, as you said, info at codamg.com. I will put that in the show notes. So if you guys want to reach out, just click the little more in the description. It'll pop down the full description in there. You can find it or you can just remember it. It's not that hard to remember. So info at codamg.com. Awesome. Well, Scott, thank you very much for hopping on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Awesome. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me and Gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. Other than that, hope you guys have a great week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode as much as I enjoyed putting it on and were able to pull some actionable advice that you can apply in your own investing today in the field. Before you go, we have a gift for you. If you're a new investor looking to get started or an established investor looking to invest, take your investing to the next level. I've created an ebook just for you available on our website. This ebook ebook will cover how I was able to create both active and passive income in real estate with very little money to start with. In it, I will address the three most often cited obstacles new and veteran investors run into by showing you how to find deals that are actually deals how to finance a deal with little to no money down, and how to exit those deals for maximum value. And if you get the ebook today, I am throwing in a bundle of bonuses, seven of them to be exact. The first one will be the off-market lead generation blueprint, which will take you through the exact systems and processes we use to generate off-market leads like clockwork, which is the most important skill when it comes to creating wealth in real estate. The second bonus is the A to Z REI systems and vendors guide, which will allow you to peek under the hood of our business and see the exact tools, systems, and even the vendors we use to see the success that we do. And the third bonus is the top 100 best performing keywords pack, which is which will give you the exact keywords we use to target motivated sellers online using PPC ads. The fourth bundle is, or the fourth bonus is our contracts bundle for wholesaling and renting real estate, which will give you access to all the contracts we use in the field to execute all different types of transactions. After that is the investors quick analysis calculator and offer tool, which will allow you to quickly calculate whether a deal is an actual deal and will allow you to create an offer automatically from those calculations. This is a lot of uh, of bonuses that I said, I'm just going to keep going down the list. 
Number six is the investor's daily success tracker, which is a tracker you can use to ensure you are taking the right actions day in and day out to reach your financial goals in real estate. And the last bonus is the wholesaler's template for quick assignment cash, which will give you the templates we use to present our wholesale deals professionally and efficiently to our buyers. Whew, that is a bundle. So it's a mouthful. You get all of those bonuses for free when you download the ebook. All we charge is the admin cost to run the show. So if you're interested in the ebook and the bonus bundle, head on over to the website at therealestateinvestingclub.com. Click on get the ebook bundle at the top of the page to take advantage of that deal. And with that said, I hope you have a fantastic day and even better week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right, before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, Go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.